You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with J and J. All right. Good morning. No, it's not. It could Whatever be. it is, I'm sorry. You don't know we're, what it is for we're them. We're cutting up. We were laughing. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Um, and we appreciate all the help that went in this week, this past week for Rivers Ladies Conference. We're on the we're on the backside of that. I was about to say backside of that storm. Storm usually has a negative connotation. Is it a dark cloud or is it a bright cloud? Because the prophecies say that revival, there's going to be some bright clouds. Yeah. When I say storm, I just mean lots of energy. A force. A force. We're on the backside of that force. Um, it was a good good conference, good weekend. Um, hopefully you ladies were refreshed. Yeah. I'll say a couple things about Rivers Conference Week that I appreciate. First off, I like the change in decorations. Same. Every year, it's great. And sometimes I don't feel very comfortable to say that I like the decorations because they're very feminine in nature. Yes. But I normally really appreciate them. And it doesn't make you effeminate to like those feminine... Uh... Decorations. <laughs> but with This that, year, they're orbs. They're... They're, they're, they're Chinese, orbs. like what paper lanterns. Paper lanterns is the correct we'll word. Take the Chinese out of that. Just so, paper lanterns. I really like the way the church looks on yes. Rivers Conference yeah. Week. Another thing, I really like the way the church smells. The church never smells <laughs> as good yeah. as when they bring in. <laughs> well, after a men's conference, it's smelling a little musty. Smelling a little bit like a high school locker room. Yeah, you get you get. You get notes of uh, maybe some wood, some pine, uh, maybe some maybe some brake cleaner, some beard oil. That's yeah, about as good as it's gonna oil. get. Mix that with a body odor, and that's that's the smell you get after men's conference. Ladies' conference, it's a better smell. Oh yeah, for sure. Those are two and things. their energy is almost it's second to none. And me and John used to play on the worship team together. And we would always talk about how amazing these ladies' conferences were. A number of years ago, he was playing acoustic. I was rocking the bass. And what song were we playing? Alive in Us by oh. Hillsong Worship. Darlene And I Check. remember just looking over at him and we're jamming. This is circa 2011. Yeah. Denise Renner was one of oh, the yeah. guests. And I just remember, this is hyped mm-hmm. right now. It was so energetic. And I remember just playing some ultra cheesy bass lines and looking over at John and we're both head banging and smiling just ear to ear. Going, yeah. Jesus, Jesus. Alive in us. My bass line went something like this. Yeah. Anyways, it sounds like you exactly knew what that bass line was. I knew it, man. I could probably still play it. I uh, was the cheese factor. Okay. We're not talking about any of that stuff this week. We're actually here to help edify you and bring you the word in a fun, creative way. Yeah. And it's interesting that you said that edify, because edify means to build up. And we're going to talk about someone in the Bible who actually built something up. Yeah, and that on. was the wall around Jerusalem. I'm talking about Nehemiah. And I shared a little bit of my story last week about how I've been reading through the Bible in a year. And this time, reading through Nehemiah, I realized how much I appreciate him as a character in the Bible. He's really cool. I'm going to just give a little bit of a backdrop mm. of Nehemiah 
and the book of Nehemiah, it says, Nehemiah was instrumental in the rebuilding and reestablishment of Jerusalem in the 5th century BC, following the Babylonian exile. First off, I thought that was a little bit before Jesus. I understand 500 years is a long time, but when I'm thinking of 500 years, that's almost... That's the Reformation time. That doesn't seem like a crazy long time ago. Maybe it does to you, but to me, that's closer to Jesus's time than I expected. Okay. 500, is that the 400 years or 500 years before? Because 5th century BC, you know how the 20th century is yes. actually the 1900s? You could probably say anything and people would be like, yep, that's right. All right, folks, now you're confused, but we're going to keep going. Fifth century BC, <laughs> following the Babylonian exile. Although there is no consensus about the relative chronologies of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the biblical dates are unclear. And actually, in the Hebrew Bible, they're combined together as mm. one book. Okay. Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem probably preceded Ezra's by a couple of years. Both men worked together to restore the city and rededicate its people to God. Nehemiah was a high official in the Persian court of King Artaxerxes I at the capital city of Susa, which lay 150 miles east of the Tigris River in what is now modern Iran. Mm. Nehemiah served as the king's cupbearer. I believe the cupbearer drank the wine before the king, yeah, right? Yeah, make sure they didn't die. That's a scary but very important job, which evidently put him in a position to speak to the king and request favors from him. After hearing about the sad state of affairs in Judah, Nehemiah acquired the king's permission to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and its fortifications. He's even given letters from the king to ensure safe passage and to obtain timber from the king's forest for the gates and walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem in 445 BC as the provincial governor of Judah, also known as Yehud. He immediately surveyed the damage of the entire city on his well-known night journey around the walls. He enlisted the help of the peoples to quickly repair the breaches in the wall. He also urged them to set up guards to defend against the constant threat of those who opposed their efforts, including the armies of Samaria, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites. He ended up building and repairing the wall in just 52 days. Nehemiah was also the shortest man in the Bible. Say it. Say the joke. Nehemiah. You think it'd be Zacchaeus, but no, it's Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Speaking of Nehemiah and Ezra, I think both roles are important. Nehemiah built the walls around Jerusalem. Ezra focused on the temple. So sometimes people have different focuses, and I'm thinking how that could transfer even into the New Testament. Some people are really passionate about the church and the house mm -hmm. of God, but then there are some people that are really passionate about, let's say, our country and society that the church finds itself in. You see Nehemiah taking maybe more of what society and where the temple actually sat and Ezra being more focused on the temple itself. Well, Ezra, Ezra was actually a scribe in the, in the emperor's court, the one before him, Xerxes, not Arctic Xerxes. He actually worked for that, for that one. Which I think is really cool. Both or maybe these, it was after. Both of these- Who came before? Well, I just read that Ezra probably came to- Jerusalem a little bit after Nehemiah, which makes sense. You kind of want the walls built up before yeah, yeah. you actually work on the temple yep. to protect whatever you'd put into the temple. But both of these men had favor from an ungodly king. Yeah. 
Sometimes we think we have to have the right leader in control for us to be effective. Mm. These men obtain favor even from an ungodly king to do God's work. Hey, I think you need to say it louder for the people in the back. That's a faith extender, folks. Sometimes we deflect personal responsibility till we have a leader. We just get a different president and everything will be all right. I'll I'll, I'll get behind a different president. This comparison would be if we were taken captive to a different country under the rule of a different king in a different country and got favor to go back to our country and build our country. Hey, and you can even uh, knock down a few timbers in my own forest. How about that? And Nehemiah was a sensitive guy because when he was the cupbearer, if you read that first section of Nehemiah, he hears about the state of Jerusalem and he gets so moved mm-hmm. that I think he might be crying or yeah. he's he's shaking in his countenance. He's lamenting. He's lamenting. And the king goes, Nehemiah, what's up? Yeah. This is not like you. Which tells me another thing. Nehemiah normally carried himself in a way that was light, mm. full of joy, and wasn't, oh man, I'm serving an ungodly king in a foreign nation. He had a good attitude about himself. And when he didn't, he was able to respond to the pain yeah. that God's people were he experiencing. He had a burden over a city. But he normally had the... Cheery countenance, he had joy, but in that moment he was moved. I think it's cool. Some of the greatest people in the Bible are those that can experience both emotions, be the most awesome worshiper, David, but also be a warrior like David. Yeah. It's manly, right? He's manly. All right, so here are some things that I gathered out of Nehemiah. There's just, we're going to go through kind of the whole book. Seems like a really big (laughs) task, but here's just some statements and some things we can get out of it. In Nehemiah 2.18... I noticed this. Here are some keys that we can gather to help gather people to build with us. Because Nehemiah needed to gather people to Mm -hmm. be able to build the wall in 52 days. This is the scripture. Nehemiah 2.18 says, Then I related to them, speaking of the people, how the good hand of my God was on me and what the king had said to me. Then they replied, let's begin rebuilding right away. So they readied themselves for this good project. So he said, the hand of the Lord was on him. And then he said that the king had approved of the mission. First off, what does the hand of the Lord represent? It obviously represents God's approval, but I'm thinking of Peter. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's a picture of humility. So if you want people to walk with you, arrogance normally repels people, not only God. We know that God resists the proud, but Nehemiah said that, the good hand of my God is on me and I have approval from the people above me. Mm-hmm. If we gather both of those things with any endeavor we're trying to do, I believe people will build mm-hmm. with us. Good. If we go to Nehemiah 4, 6, it says this. So we rebuilt the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to its height, half its height. The people were enthusiastic in their work. Anybody, come on, this is a scripture. This is something that I think we can do as leaders And that's when we hear good leadership, we gather that and we can confess that over our own works. So what I saw in this in Nehemiah 4, 6 is that the people were enthusiastic in their work. I believe that I'm under the good hand of my God. I have favor from my leader and I can confess that the people who serve under me and around me and with me are enthusiastic in the good work they're doing. So if you want to have influence in the people around you and you feel like sometimes the people around you are not your greatest asset, they're a detriment, get confessing that the value that we're putting our time towards, 
they're enthusiastic in it. Just thought that was cool. Let's look at a few scriptures later. Nehemiah 4.14 says, When I had made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord and fight on behalf of your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your families. So as they were building, there's a reason the walls were knocked down. There was a reason Jerusalem was in such a bad state. Other people had come in and there were enemies in the land. So they were building in the midst of enemy presence and their lives were at stake and the people were afraid. So I thought in this scripture, there's two keys to overcoming fear. First off, Nehemiah says, remember the great and awesome Lord. If you want to overcome fear, a higher view of God is always going to help you overcome fear. The fear of the Lord is the fear that destroys all other fears. So that's the first thing he told the people. And secondly, he told them to remember the purpose of the fight. He said, and fight on behalf of your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your families. So if we want to overcome fear and we want to encourage those who are working with us that we have influence over, first off, draw them to the fear of God. It's yeah. the fear that destroys all other fears. And also remind them of why we're doing what we're doing. It's for our families. It's for the family of God. It's for the generational blessing, all the different things that we can lead people into. I think Nehemiah really exemplified that. Nehemiah 4.23 says this, we did not change clothes. This is as they were constructing the building of the wall. Not I, nor my relatives, nor my workers, nor the watchmen who were with me, each had his weapon, even when getting a drink of water. So what I see in this is New Testament, that's spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah encouraged men to have a sword in their one hand and a hammer in the other hand. That's how big of a threat they yeah. were facing. And he said, we didn't even change our clothes, man. Mm. Now, Ephesians 6, you just recently did an amazing job of teaching this on a Sunday night, Pastor Jonathan. But that spiritual armor, when are we supposed to take it off? When you're showering. <laughs> Yeah, you want to take Never. it off shower and you want to make sure to get a good towel to dry. Otherwise, you're going to have some chaffage when you put it back on. <laughs> you're not supposed to take it off. You're not. And honestly, it's sleepwear. Personally, yeah. spiritual warfare battles, I've experienced a lot at night. At uh, night, yeah. Who's ever had some intense things happen to him in the night watch? I've slept with my Bible before. I have too. Clutching it. Yeah. Holding it tight. I don't know if just naturally holding a paper Bible <laughs> has a big impact, but I have held on to the word of God. We're supposed to keep it on at all times. And then I like how it says this, that each had his weapon, even when getting a drink of water. What getting a drink of water would represent to me is refreshment. So sometimes we take a vacation and then we actually take a vacation from our dedication to the Lord. Mm. Like, oh, are we going to do devotions? No, I'm on vacation right now. Mm. So you don't have to take a vacation from your devotion, yeah. <laughs> nor should we. Just going back to what you're talking about, how even when they were getting a drink of water, they had a weapon in their hand. And I'm thinking about the very first Take 10 that we did, COVID, number of years ago now. Was it 2020, right? That is the year yeah. of the COVID, Yeah. 2020? The very first Take 10 that we did together, we called it Building and Battling, and it was based out of Nehemiah. And just this idea of this, it's a false idea of like, you know what, like once I get control, 
once things kind of settle down, then I can build my life or build whatever, well, you know, insert whatever example you want. But really the enemy never sleeps. The reason why we don't take off our armor when we sleep is because he never sleeps. And in all reality, you're going to have to learn how to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. If you want to build anything in your life of value, you're going to have to be defending it at the exact same time. Exactly. Because the enemy doesn't doesn't quit. So I think a lot of people miss the mark there. They're waiting for the attacks to, to stop. Or when they do come, they focus on that. And they quit building. And then they and then once it's done, they even take a vacation from the building aspect because they were so rattled by the defending aspect. And so really it's this I love that analogy, that picture, spiritually speaking. I've got my sword in one hand and my hammer in the other. And I gotta do both at the same time. And what does the sword represent? The sword represents the spoken word. Exactly. Yeah. So as we're getting refreshed, we can still be declaring the yep. revelation that God has given us in, in his written word. Take, take a drink, declare the word. Thank you, <laughs> Acknowledge Jesus. him in all that you do. Lean yep. not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's what we're talking about. Proverbs 3. And it makes me think, you said that as you're building something, you're going to have to defend it simultaneously. Have you ever built your faith hmm. to receive a healing, but then you found out that you couldn't keep your healing? I have. Yeah. I've been in a spot been like, man, I got my healing. My back doesn't hurt. And then you tell people, man, my, my back's healed. Right. And then a week later, you're bent over. And you're like, yeah. Darn it. Or you're like, believe in God for your back. And all of a sudden, you get a sore throat. And you're like, where, <laughs> where did that come from? And it's like, you were defending the front entrance. And someone came and found a, a hole on the backside of the wall. Yes. Right? So faith can cause you to build what you need, but also to protect what you get it from your building. Yeah. I didn't say that exactly right, but well, I'm also thinking, oh man, I forgot which one it is, but it talks, uh, it might be in Nehemiah, but it's about the watchman and how if the watchman sees something coming, doesn't alert the people inside that blood is on their hands. But just talking about a good watchman is constantly walking the perimeter of the wall. And so that's what you're doing with your faith. Is there any weaknesses? Is there any holes? Is there an area that I've neglected? Um, and I'm even thinking about a, um, it's in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord took him in a vision. They found a small little hole in the wall of the temple and it was a breach. And he actually was able to get inside and he found out that the temple was full of idols. And the way I, you know, you can, you can interpret that many, many ways, but one small crack in the foundation can let a bunch of things in that are going to be detrimental to the health of the temple. And you are now the temple in the new Testament. And so you are to be taking an account, walking the perimeters of your heart, walking the perimeters so of your faith and making sure that there's not a breach. There's not a weak point. Well, but where was that scripture? In, that section's in Isaiah, Isaiah. 62. Okay. All right, go ahead. Keep going. Very this good. is good. We already talked about keys to overcoming fear and having the fear of God being the fear that destroys all other fears. But the second part being know the why of the fight. So fighting for your wives, you're fighting for your children. The next point comes back to a author who wrote a book called Start With Why, Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. He did a follow-up book that I read as well called Leaders Eat Last. And I thought of that point when I read this section in Nehemiah 5, verse 14. It says, from the day that I was appointed governor in the land of Judah, that is from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 
12 years in all, neither I nor my relatives ate the food allotted to the governor. Mm. What he said was, I had benefits yeah. that were allotted to me, but I was in the midst of the work and I didn't take advantage of that because I had the vision in my heart just as much as I was asking you to. Mm. So there's some things, and I think it's why a lot of leaders become leaders. There's things you're allowed to have, you could have, but you don't partake in because of the greatness yeah. of the call on the inside. And a lot of that is actually even going to be a test. I know we say that God doesn't tempt anyone, but there's a lot of tests. And we want to be able to pass that test. And like you said, just because something is available, or even what Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. And a lot of times when you take, partake in something that is rightfully yours, even though it's not beneficial, you fail the test. Um, and, and Paul says, yeah. Peter traveled with his wife. I could do these things. Right. I could ask this of you, but I'm not going to. Right. And I think it was Pastor Mark that said this, that people who have high calls are going to be held to high standards. And so some things are going to be completely right and acceptable for a lot of people, but not you. If you understand the call and where that's taking you, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to say no to, even though it's right in front of you and seemingly right. Go ahead. Let's look at the very next verse. It says, but the former governors who preceded me had burdened the people and had taken food and wine from them in addition to 40 shekels of silver. Their associates were also domineering over the people, but I did not behave in this way due to my fear of God. We already addressed the fear of the Lord. Now, when we think of the fear of the Lord, we think this is going to affect my relationship with him. Mm. But Nehemiah says, I treated you well, the reason being, because I feared God. Mm -hmm. And my namesake, John the Apostle, he said the same thing. You say you love God, but you don't like people? You can't love God if you don't love people, because right. you can see people, you can't see God. That's yep. a cop-out. So our fear of God doesn't just affect our relationship with him. Nehemiah says it affects our relationship with each other. Yeah, it's good. Last point I want to look at, Nehemiah 6, 3 through 4. So he's building the wall. He's leading people. He's not partaking in the benefits he could partake in. And the whole time, there's three characters that are trying to destroy what's going on. They're actually bringing against accusations and disses. They say, like, if a fox walked across the wall, it would fall down. It's kind of a weird diss, but <laughs> probably made sense back then. Those three guys were called Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and they were always messing with him. And eventually they lied and would say, hey, we have letters. We want to meet with you. Come on down, talk. And they were planning on killing him. This is how Nehemiah responded. He said, so I sent messengers to them, speaking of those three guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. I am engaged in an important work and I am unable to come down. Why should the work come to a halt when I leave it to come down to you? They contacted me four times in this way and I responded the same way each time. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that almost gives me goosebumps. Yeah. My question is, when we fall into sin, is it because we're not devoting ourselves to an important work or do we not see the important work in the way that God gave it to us? Because God gave it to us in an empowerful, empowered way, a powerful way. If we spent time with him, we'd get that revelation. So either we're not working towards something great mm -hmm. or 
we are working towards something great and we're not seeing it as a great work. But if we were to see it in that way, we would stay protected from the plan of the enemy and the deception that he has. I think of that cliche saying that idle time is a devil's playground. You can interpret that in a number of ways too. But when you're not putting your hand to something and you're sitting there idle, that's when that's when you can really get off track. Um, and then uh, let me see if I can let me see if I can tie this in. Say your last point again. You said that if you if you did see the value in it before, you would protect it. Well, that's not exactly how I said oh, okay. it. If you got that, that's great. But I said there's kind of two options that I see because so often we see people fall, maybe even die, lose their influence. And it's either because they were giving themselves to something, their life expenditure, that wasn't a great work of God, mm-hmm. or it was a great work of God, and they didn't see it as a great work of God. They disvalued it, yeah. and that allowed the enemy to have entrance. Gotcha. So if you have a different point well, in that, I mean, I feel like it's maximize it. Well, it's somewhat similar, and I'm also thinking, and you know, we learned this in Bible school, and I think it was King Jeroboam. It was either Jeroboam or Rehoboam who was in charge of all of the goods, the plunders in the temple. And it was it was massive amounts of gold, and there was no protection. It was not being guarded, and he didn't really care. And then it all was stolen. And so what he did is that he replaced the gold with brass and then started guarding it. So he finally put up protection over something that was incredibly less valuable. But we learned, you remember this story from Bible Absolutely, school? Absolutely, 100%. And he was talking about your faith guarding your faith as if it's gold, because if you don't value it the way you should, the enemy will come and steal it. And then you go through a season and a storm, and now you you get this, like, you, you're, tra- you're traumatized, you have an experience, and then you come up with this Mix of the word faith. of God. It's mix of the word, yeah, because the brass was an Word of God and your experience. Word of God it's- and experience. And then you start guarding that instead of your pure faith. So when people say, God's a healer, <laughs> well, he is, but not all the time because my experiences, I didn't experience right. this. And then you're guarding that. And when people say, no, really, really, you say, no, this is true. I have an experience. We elevate our experience higher than yes. we hit, do his written word. Yeah. I mean, it, it somewhat relates to what you're talking about. But when you said that, it reminded me of that story. People are blessed to hear that story. Yeah. Which that really rocked me in Bible school. I mean, I like that because when you talk about brass or an alloy it's a mixture it's not pure and so you don't guard the thing that is pure your faith gets stolen and then you replace it with an alloy a mixture man all right but that's not that's not what we're talking about i want to encourage you to value the work that you're on and stay with it don't get off the wall don't get off the wall i just want to read what he said again said i'm engaged in important work and i am unable to come down why should the work come to a halt when i leave it to come down to you you can tell the enemy that come on why would i leave this amazing work and come down and he responds to that the same way every time and they said he said they tried four different times and i gave him the yeah. same answer every time well going back to like at the very beginning when he's going to the king and being like man Dude, my city's in ruins. I think that's even what he tells him. My city lays in ruins. He had a burden for the city. And I remember there's a pastor up in Denver and he was talking about cause versus burden. And he said, when you have, a, when there's a cause, he's like, that's great. But usually you hear a cause and you say, oh, I could get behind that. But a burden is something like, I can't not get behind this. A burden is a lot different. And we used to pray with 
you students about this and I'd get up on stage and be like, you need to ask God for a burden. And it kind of sounds like a bad thing, but it's something that for lack of a better word, troubles your heart so much that you can't not sit idle. You have to do something about it. And really what that turns into is conviction. And that's what happened with Nehemiah. He was so convicted and burdened with the state of his hometown. I mean, maybe it's not, that's not the best way to say it, but it was his home. Um, and it caused him to act. So, Very good. That's all I have. I'll yeah. go over all these real fast. Yeah, do it. The first one was being, how can we influence people to build with us, recognize humility that the hand of the Lord is upon us, and that we have direct orders from our superiors? Yeah. You go, well, I don't have a word from my boss. Do you have a word from God about the thing that's in your heart? That's a superior. Jesus mm -hmm. is your Lord. That means he's your <laughs> he's master. He's your superior. He is definitely your superior. Maybe your big brother, but he is he your superior. He might be your friend. Might be. Those are, <laughs> those are not guarantees. <laughs> Secondly, we can engage with the word of God and confess that people are enthusiastic for their work in the kingdom. It said that the people that worked with Nehemiah were enthusiastic in their work. Third, two keys to overcoming fear. First off, the greatness of our God. And second, remember the purpose of the fight or the burden, yeah. as you had mentioned. Next, spiritual warfare. Nehemiah didn't take off his clothes. His men didn't take off their clothes. They kept their weapon in their hand mm -hmm. even when they got refreshed by taking yeah. a drink of water. You don't have to vacation from your devotion. Yeah. Keep it on. The sword, the weapon is the spoken word of God that comes out of our mouth. Keep declaring the word of God. Next, leaders eat last. He said that I was allotted for 12 years, the food given to the governor, didn't eat it at all. Mm -hmm. Then the next verse, he said that the others did take advantage of you, ate your food, drank your wine, charged you silver, but I didn't. And the reason is, is because I had the fear of God. The fear of God affects how we treat other people, yeah. not just God. Yeah. And lastly, when we're engaged from the enemy, even if it seems deceptive, value your work and stay with the work. Yeah. That's Ooh, what I got. Nehemiah, awesome character of the Bible. Yeah. Um, I had somebody message me just the other day and they said, Hey, like, I want to start reading through the Bible. Um, I don't really know where to start. Should I just start with Genesis or should I do something else? And I said, Well, I think you should really start with the New Testament because that's the covenant, you know, listening to the series with Pastor Mark right now, the books of the Bible are really divided into Old Covenant and New Covenant. And we live in the New Covenant. So I, I told him, I was like, start in the New Testament. And I think it's really important to get a, a revelation of your identity and the covenant that you have now before you start reading the Old Testament stuff. But I was just thinking about, we're reading Old Testament things, but the revelation that you're getting out of it is based out of New Covenant realities. And so... Anybody who's reading, like the, the Old Testament is so rich and I love it. But if you don't have an understanding of your identity and your covenant, it'll just be a story. And you'll go, why did God do that? Or what happened there? I don't understand that. But understanding your rights in the new covenant is going to shed so much light when you read something in the old covenant. And I just feel, because whenever you read stuff like that, it's like, man, it the way you pull it out. I mean, you could, you could maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of it has to do with you being able to see it through the lens of how it applies to you in the new covenant. Absolutely. It's a mindset. Yeah. And Pastor Mark 
most everyone listening to this podcast is a byproduct of Pastor Mark Bentliff and this church. And we are in a series about mindsets, yeah. covenantal mindsets. But before we got to covenantal mindsets, we had kingdom mindsets. Yeah. The kingdom was revealed by Jesus Christ. So now even when you engage with the written word, he was the word made flesh, yeah. you engage it the same way he did. And that was with a kingdom mindset mm-hmm. came from him. Amen. I mean, I, I guess that wasn't really wisdom of the day. It can I, I'll, be. I'll say my wisdom of the day. Um, oh, I need to remember it. I just lost my train of thought. All right. We should count it down. No, Close in my eyes. <laughs> mm. That's too much pressure. I'll give my wisdom of the day. <laughs> yeah, I really like the last point. I like how he stayed with the work. He was tempted, I believe, with honor from these three men. Like, we want to honor you. Come on down. And he stayed with the work. Yeah. Stayed with the people. Stayed with the work. Yeah. And he valued it. That just... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So mine was more about the building and the battling. And I know that's something that I contributed, but it was based off of something that you sparked. So understanding that your faith is something that you have to build and defend at the same time. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get whooped. That's it. That was a good one. That was actually one of my favorite ones in a while. I love the guests, but just the conversation we were having. So that was a fun one. All right. Well, I want to pray us out of this podcast. You do so. Do so. You do so. Is that is that right? It works for us, man. So okay. let's work it. Father God, <laughs> I thank you so much for your written word. I thank you that we would learn from Nehemiah and we would treat the work that you've put in our hands to the same degree that Nehemiah did, that we would gather people around, we would build what you're calling us to build, we would resist the enemy, and we would fear you and treat people well. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stay safe out there, folks. Spooky season. (laughs) One hand on your weapons, even when you're getting a drink of water. We'll see you next time on the Sewing and Growing Podcast with Jay and Jay.